wonderful to worship together, to pray together. You can go ahead and have a seat as we're going to look at God's Word uh, together. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship and the sweetness of God's presence here today. Um, we are going to continue on in our series, Church on Mission. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. If you are in Christ today, you have an identity and a calling on your life to be a part of the work that God has for you. And so we are not limited by uh, one uh, nation or tribe, tongue, race, language, whatever. We are a group of people called out from this world to be the ecclesia, the called out ones of God. And we've been talking over these last several weeks about the mission of God, the mission moving forward. And my sense is that most of us, if you have spent any time walking with Jesus, there is a hunger in your heart to say, I want to be part of something that matters. I want to be on purpose and not simply going through the motions. Going through the motions, church, uh, kills you. Right? I mean, many of us maybe even grew up with going through the motions. Oh, I got to go because we we're supposed to do it. I got to show up. Got to put in your time. And that, that is sort of an exhausting way to develop your walk with Jesus. Whereas when you find yourself learning what it is to walk in step with the Spirit and being on mission with Christ, realizing that your life has purpose that maybe you haven't even fully discovered, but now you're beginning to step into, there's a whole new level of excitement with that. So church on mission is vitally important. And it's something that, you know, Amy and I, as we've prayed and we've talked about kind of our calling in, in our, our life, our calling in some ways is very simple. That we would say, Lord, give us an opportunity to be kingdom-building people. Put us on mission and help us to walk with people who are also on mission. So the theme, Church on Mission, is very dear to our heart. And during these last weeks, we've talked about church planting. We've talked about the exciting uh, opportunities that our church has had and will have in the future with church planting. What a wonderful thing close to God's heart. Last week, we talked about the persecuted church. And um, again, in some ways... It's hard for us to get our minds around because our normal is not necessarily the global normal. And yet we are called to be uh, a people who weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so there's a special calling there as we think about the, the normal reality for many people of finding persecution uh, in following Christ. And, I, and I've spoken to people, we said last week, it's, it's not like this is super far out there. There are people in this church. I met somebody after our service last last week who just kind of shared a little bit of, of her story, and I said, that's, that's what we're talking about. So we're, we're praying for those uh, who are under the shadow of persecution. That is a part of church on mission, recognizing that that mission is opposed in many fronts. So this week, what I want to talk about was the theme, the God of this city. What is it that God has called us to do in this theme of, you know, Acts 1-8 mission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utter, uttermost parts of the earth? There's actually a lot of opportunities right here for you to be the church on mission. And I think there is an awakening that is already happening in many lives who are saying, you know, I want to be a part of what God is doing here. And you don't have to look that hard to find opportunities to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in. I'm going to be a part of this work. And so here's what I'd like to do to kind of set up the message. And then I'm actually going to introduce um, Jonathan Weibel to you because as I was kind of getting some things ready for this message, and then Amy and I were talking on Monday, and she basically said, like, well, why don't you just have Jonathan come in and preach some of this stuff? Because this is sort of what he is doing. And I was like, you know, it's a great idea. Don't you love like the efficiency, you know? Just Getting, getting good help from your spouse. So I called Jonathan, and he's a great friend of mine, and I said, hey, would you come and, and help me share the heartbeat 
of Front Yard Mission, which is one of our hope initiatives. And he said, man, I'd love to be there. He's had an incredibly busy weekend, but has made time to be with us. And so I'm going to welcome him up here in just a couple of minutes. Let me read to you from Jeremiah chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, flip over there. Last week, we talked about this identity. If we are the ecclesia, the called out ones, that we're on mission with Christ, one of the pieces of our identity is that of exile or sojourner. We are passing through in this world. And if you think like that feels odd to you, I just want you to see scripturally that is not an odd thing. In fact, we see really in multiple places, John 17, Acts 6, Hebrews 11, 1 Peter 2, we read some of these scriptures to you last week, talking about our identity as sojourners, those who are passing through, or exiles, those who are living in a land that is not our own. So if that identity is true, and if that's just a part of what it means to follow Christ in this world, what does God say and what does God's word tell us about living as exiles? And so there's a very literal application for this. If you look in Jeremiah 29, when God's people are literally in exile, and these were the instructions that they received. It says uh, in verse four to seven, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And notice that God is saying, I allowed this to happen. You know, we assume that, well, exile is bad and, you know, suffering is bad and difficulty is bad and not being in power is bad. And so God wouldn't, wouldn't intend that. And yet he says, I, I carried you into exile as if with a purpose. And here's what his message is. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and your daughters in, and give them in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. This is part of the Genesis 1 cultural mandate to fill the, the earth. But he said even in exile and even when you are not in the place of power, I want you to be increasing. I want you to be flourishing. I want you to bless your area, or your region. So here's what it says in verse seven. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So I wanna talk with you today, uh, and I want actually Jonathan to do the majority of the talking today, but what does that mean for us to seek the prosperity of our city? And are there practical ways that we can do that? It's, it's a tension, right? Because on one hand, Jesus says, I don't want you to be friends with the world. Like there's a spirit of the world that we are called to distance ourselves from as followers of Christ. And we're going to wrestle with the world, the flesh, and the devil all of the days of our life on this side of heaven, right? So there's this friendship with the world that we're sort of called to understand. But then there's also a mission to and a loving of the world, that we need to understand as well. And so in thinking about this as exiles, part of the ecclesia, I was starting to think about our hope initiatives, which we spent a lot of time talking about this theme of hope over these last year or more. Uh, our hope initiatives, we basically said this in the middle of the pandemic, as, as Christ followers, we have a hope that supersedes our difficult circumstances. So instead of focusing on our losses, we focus on the hope that we have in Christ. In sharing that hope in practical ways, we choose by God's grace to be a blessing to this community. That is a Jeremiah 29 kind of 
uh, attitude. And then in Romans 15, it actually says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've preached on that. We've talked about that for a lot of weeks. I do wonder as we check in with that today, is that a part of our identity? Overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a great posture for the church of Jesus Christ to be able to embrace and step into and walk into and say, yeah, that's, that's who we are called to be. And so our hope initiatives are not the only ways, when we've talked about different practical ways, we really just said, let's give as many on-ramps as we can for people to find their hope initiative because every one of us is called to be on mission. And when I think about a church that wakes up to that reality, it actually looks very different than a church than you and I have probably experienced in most of our life. Every person saying, I'm called to be on mission. One of our hope initiatives, Wood for Good, Orphan Care, Out of the Cold, we've done partnership with all of those groups. One of our uh, hope initiatives is Front Yard Mission. And uh, I'd like to ask Jonathan Weibel to come and share about Front Yard Mission with us today because I think this is probably one of the lowest hanging fruit opportunities for us to say as a church, we are all on mission. Jonathan is a very old friend of mine. He's not very old, but we've been friends for a long time. I'm spry for my age. He's spry for his age. He's just a shade over 94 or something like that. No, he's a... He's a, he's a big brother in the faith to me. We've also served on staff together. Jonathan's been part of our staff family here. He's been a church planter with us. He's been a pastor within our district, and now he is currently the, I think, czar of Front Yard Mission. Well, What's I'm, your actual title? Supreme Dictator? Yeah, that's what I make my, should, un, my underlings. Yeah, you should get that on me. your card yeah, if you I can. Should, uh, let's give a very warm uh, State College welcome to my very good friend, Supreme Dictator Jonathan Weibel. Thanks. Aaron doesn't know this, but I'm actually here to candidate for his job. So <laughs> I remember 96 candidating here as the youth pastor and worship leader. And, and I remember, I don't know, are the cannons here? Fred and Liz, are they here today? Um, but I remember, like, they put me up in, like, great accommodations when I, when Susie and I candidate, like, we were in their basement. And I had really never worn a suit before until I... Till I came to State College Alliance. I don't know if you know this. I'm just not a suit guy. But um, so my wife bought me a suit to candidate here. and But I had to get ready in the dark because we had no idea where the light switch in the basement was. So I had a tag hanging off, off the sleeve. And so I found a pair of scissors groping around in the dark. Um, and so then I like cut the tag off, but I end up cutting the sleeve off of my jacket. So um, it went well, though, I, I think. Yeah, so that was my, so I wish I would have kept that jacket as a, a memoriam. Um, so I want to tell you a little story about, like, Susie's in, in my life, in front our mission, what that is, and, and also kind of just give you some, practical ways that you can love your neighbor but more in a broad sense and how you can get involved in front air mission right now um, we've got like some official people Aaron and Amy they're awesome they're crushing it on Weymouth circle and um, and then Aiden and Emily they're they're doing amazing 
work and front yard mission. And I know Kate and and Chad, they kind of are informally doing front yard mission already. That they're kind of like intrinsically, it's built into them. So I love that. So we have a head start here at State College Alliance. In 2015, Susie and I moved to a new neighborhood, and we took that time to just kind of look back, to go um, to evaluate our life and our ministry. And we realized very quickly that um, one of the things that we had not done, we'd loved people well. We had served in three decades in ministry, and we'd, you know, like, God had blessed what we had done, and, and we saw a lot of fruit in our ministry. But one of the things that we hadn't done was love our neighbor real well. And so we came across the scripture, and I think Kate read it earlier. So it's from, from Acts 17. It's, it says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God marked out your time that you were going to live. What, what's your name right here with the cool hair? No, 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 you. I mean, she's got cool hair too. But George did not think that was going to be your name. George, God has marked out the time in history where you live and the place that you live. And God did this, George, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. This scripture really made me wrestle with the idea that I had somehow placed a disproportionate amount of importance on my job and not on where God had placed me. This scripture actually made me quit my job as a church planter, pastor. I believe in all that and we need all those folks but I wanted to concentrate the last maybe third of my life. I don't know how many, I may only have, this might be it. Like today, I go home and I die. It's okay. I'm going to concentrate the rest of my days on catalyzing a love your neighbor movement in our world. I think it's that important. And God began to build this kind of better theology of place where you live is just as important as your job that you're doing. Your neighbors are really important in the, in the first line that God calls us to love and care for. Matthew 22 says this. Um, remember these guys, the Pharisees and Sadducees? Anytime they show up on the scene, it's going to be a good time for everyone. Um, and so they, they, they say this um, to, to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. At the end of the passage, Jesus makes this huge statement. All the law, all the prophets, they all hinge on love God, love your neighbor. I am a simple person. I am not a rocket scientist, nor has anyone ever accused me of being a rocket scientist. I love the simple. And Jesus here turns following all these commands into simplicity. Remember, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, right? Um, lots of thou shalls, thou shall nots. If you were going to be a good Jew, you had to follow all those 613 laws. If you're going to be a good Jew, you had to follow the Talmud, another teaching of the 
of, of, the, of the Jews that you had to follow. And then if you're also going to be a good Jew, you had rabbis that you followed around, kind of like we follow Aaron around and sit under his, his wonderful teaching. They would sit under the rabbi's teaching, and he called that the yoke. They called that the yoke of their teaching. And they, and they, would, they would learn from these rabbis, so they'd have to follow the law, the Talmud, and the rabbi's yoke. Jesus comes along. He says this beautiful thing, and this is just an interpretation of this. It may not be the right interpretation, but, but he says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We've heard this before. Listen to this. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Could that be Jesus' teaching as a rabbi? Maybe. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The yoke of Jesus' teaching is easy. He tells us, all the law, all the prophets, hang on, love God, love your neighbor. If loving your neighbor is God's expression of how we love him, it's almost like the proof or the litmus test for how we love him. Let me ask this. Why aren't we doing a better job in the church? I'm sure you guys are doing a great job. But can we do better? Yes, we can. We can be more intentional about the thing that Jesus said matters the most in this life. We can posture ourselves, as Aaron said earlier, to love our city, to, to bless our city for the welfare of our city and our neighbors. So I've been around a few years. So I've been in full-time ministry for 30 years. And um, I've kind of seen the shift in the culture over those 30 years. Um, in the 90s, we kind of, as the evangelical church, were having our heyday. Like we had all these mega churches happening. Willow Creek happened right around there and all these other big churches that, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And the, and the, and the world's, their view of the church was something like this. Church is good. It's good. Even if I don't believe it, it's good. And the Bible is good and has some good things to say. And then in the 2000s, that, that shifted to the church is irrelevant and the Bible is irrelevant and the followers of that Bible are irrelevant. And then in the, like the 2010s, I guess we'd say, I don't know what you call that decade, but the 2010s, I, I kind of noticed the shift in the culture. And it was, the Bible is evil. The culture was saying the Bible is evil. Culture is saying that. And those who practice the Bible are evil doers. That's the culture that we live in. That, that is our, our post-Christian culture. The Bible has not changed in two millenniums, the New Testament, and it's not gonna change. We are actually warned in scripture that men will call good evil and evil good. Do you guys recognize we're living in that culture? Is that something that like, okay, I, I see that. Yeah, right? Like that's, that's just where we live. Philip Yancey, who wrote the, the Jesus I Never Knew, said no one's ever converted to Christianity because they lost the argument. You know, we have led um, with words instead of demonstration often, and we are living in a culture now that demands that we live with demonstration of the gospel. 
And I want to share three really important, I, I, can you tell I'm passionate about this? Like, I'm going to go down dying with this message, right? Like, I'm passionate about it. I believe in it. The three rhythms of front yard mission are, are this. These are three rhythms that I want to share with you that where you can be more intentional about loving God and loving your neighbor. Here's, here's one. Pray first. As a believer, anything that I do has to start with prayer. I don't want to reap what I've sown, right? I want to reap what, what God is sowing. And it starts with prayer. Um, Hudson Taylor, really famous missionary, said, when, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. I want God to work. I don't want me to work. I want God to work. He's a little more productive than I am. Talk to God about your neighbors before you ever talk to your neighbors about God. Lead with prayer first. I want to emphasize that. God can do it. Even without us, he just chooses to use us. You're going to have a, um, a little paper there that is, says, who is my neighbor? And it's, it's from the book, The Art of Neighboring. I'm friends with those guys, the authors. And, and so basically, one of the things that we want you to do is to pray regularly for your eight closest neighbors in your proximity. So that little, that little um, tool is going to help you to do that. Susie and I have been, been doing that for a while now, praying for our eight closest neighbors. And it also helps with names, right? Like filling this out. You may not be able to know, you may not not be able to fill out all eight of your closest neighbors' names yet, but you will. And start learning your neighbors' names. We use this um, program called, this app called blesseveryhome.com, and it gives you your, the names of your closest 100 neighbors. I'm going to kind of give you, I'm a little bit of a cautionary tale for this app. So I want to tell you, um, just be really careful, because um, I was learning all my neighbors' names through this app, and I was walking down the street one day with my three Bernice Mountain Dogs walking them. And there was a girl on the front porch, a lady, and I said, hi, Beth. And she said, she looked at me, pointed at me. She's like, how do you know my name? I was kind of stuck right there because I'm like, okay. So, like, you know how you do, like, you go through the Rolodex of excuses in your head and the lies that you're going to tell somebody when you're caught and I just decided to lean into the awkward, and I said, Beth, I learned it from the internet. Don't do that. Just <laughs> don't, don't do that. Pray for your neighbors. Learn their names. You know, I think when I, when I know my neighbor's name, I can pray for them. I would say more affectionately. I said in the first service, I'm like, farmers don't name their pigs because you don't want to become affectionate with your breakfast. But you do when you pray. You want to have a connection there. The second is second rhythm is love all. Paul Benjamin in his, his great book, The Equipping Ministry, he said it takes on average five positive interac interactions with the gospel before someone will consider following Christ. I want to give you um, just some broad categories for how we love all. And the kind of the, the definition of front yard mission is loving anyone who comes in our, in, in our path, right? So um, it, we focus on geographic neighbors, but it could be your tribe that you hang out with. You know, like I obviously hang out with cool people because I'm cool. 
Um, but you have a tribe, you know, like Amy hangs out with people who can only hear out of her, their left ear. Um, I don't know if you know that. She's like deaf in your, your left ear? Yeah. Oh, so you can't hear that because you're, you're on this side. Yeah. So, you know, whatever your tribe is, um, you could be, you, you could apply this to, to them. Kindness. It costs you nothing to be kind. It costs you nothing to be kind. I noticed when I am kind, it changes the atmosphere. Sorry, George, I'm preaching to you, man. You're right there in my wheelhouse. It changes the atmosphere of a room. I, uh, a few years ago, I was having dinner with my friends Liz and Chris, and I got a call, and I, I answered the call. It was like from some true green lady that needed my credit card information, probably a scam, but I gave her my, all my credit card information and my social security number. Um, and so after she was done taking my information, I said, Jane, I said, you did a wonderful job with that. Like, you were so pleasant to me and nice to me. I said, thank you so much. You're great to work with. I think she was from Utah or something. And she, there was silence on the other end, and then she just started crying. I could hear her whimpering and crying. And, I said, and usually when that happens, when a woman is crying in a conversation I've had, I've hurt their feelings somehow. So I said, Jane, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. Did I offend you? What happened? And she said, no, no one's ever told me I've done a good job at my job. And then she started to open up and talk about how she was abused as a child. And I said, Jane, I said, Jesus is tickled, silly, pink, madly in love with you. And he wants a relationship with you. Can I pray for you? And she said, would you? And I prayed with her. And then my friend said, who are you talking to? I said, the credit card lady. <laughs> you know, kindness changes the atmosphere. Serving, serving our neighbors. That's kind of what we think of when we think of, about neighboring is serving, loving our neighbors, serving our neighbors. See where the rubble is and then serve them. Have fun. I hold to this firm belief that you're, if you are not having fun at something, you are doing it absolutely wrong. Have fun. I had so much fun with my neighbors a few years ago. Everything's a few years ago. I just noticed that. A few years ago, my wife and I were sitting at the table with our daughters, and it was had that perfect snow was happening. And we saw our neighbors who we kind of knew, but not really. We knew their first names, and they were graduate students. And we saw them outside, and, and my wife says, let's ambush them. Snowball fight. So our whole family got out, we were high, we made snowballs, and we just started pelting our neighbors with ice balls in the face. Sometimes that's what love looks like, when you really love. And so it turned into this all-out battle on our street. And it was, it, was, it was a holy moment. Later on that week, I heard my neighbor Lisa say, I miss playing piano. So we said as a family, let's buy her a piano. But it was that first interaction. So we bought her a piano. We, we delivered it on Christmas Eve. And every time after that, when she would play with the windows open, we hear her play the piano, we'd remember that snowball fight. Fun. Let your neighbors love you. That's another way. Love is a two-way street. 
If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. If your neighbors aren't loving you back, you're doing it wrong. You're not the hero in the story. Jesus is the hero in the story. You are the project, not your neighbor. Let them love you back. That's kind of one of the signs that you're, you're, you're winning <laughs> is if your neighbors love you back because they, we're allowing them to invest in us too. And here's the, here's the third thing. So pray first, love all, invite often. So there's kind of like four, four little things here that we talk about, four invitations when we talk about invite often. Invite them into your space. Invite them into your life. This might, both of these will probably happen over dinner. Invite them into your faith community, but most importantly, invite them into Christ. I am here standing on the stage because of a neighbor. In 1984, I moved to Philadelphia and I was playing baseball there. And the, the previous, previous year, I was a baseball player at Bowling Green State University. And my roommate and I, we were both baseball players. We were getting high one night. We were actually smoking hash. Um, and we were like watching television and laughing. And this, this commercial for the book Power for Living came on. And we made so much fun of this. It looked so cheesy to us. Do you remember that book, Chuck? Yeah, Power for Living, little blue book. He thought as a joke, he would send it to me as a Christmas gift. So he wrote down the number, unbeknownst to me, and I got this book. I took this book out to Philadelphia. I started reading it. It talked about how to have a relationship with Jesus. It was, it was a Bill Bright book. It was like four spiritual laws. You know, I grew up Catholic, and for the first time, an intimate relationship with Jesus made sense to me. At the same time, my neighbors who were believers were inviting me over for dinner every night. And they just love on me and pray for me. And one night, I was broken. I was just a punk kid. And I, it was the easiest conversion of all time. I ran over to my neighbors, knocked on their door. I was sobbing. And I said, I need Jesus. Can you help me? And an old lady, Aunt Carrie, born on the first day of the century, not like this latest century, like the one previous she took me by the hand and we knelt at the couch and my life has never been the same. It has never been the same. It was a neighbor that invited me into the life of Christ. So a few years later, I went to go visit her. I wanted to share um, Aunt Carrie with my wife and introduce her. I'm like, because this is the lady that you know introduced me to Jesus and he changed my life. So we go into this nursing home. I see Aunt Carrie, I'm just sobbing again, I'm a crier, sobbing, I'm just holding her frail little body, and I said, Aunt Carrie, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. It changed my life, and I believe it's gonna change thousands of people's lives. And she kind of backed off, looked, looked me in the eyes with the sweet eyes, and said, who are you? No idea who I was. So if, if, Loving God and loving our neighbor is premium in God's kingdom. We have to be intentional. We have to posture ourselves. I'm gonna, one of the things that I've been doing is developing a strategy to help us. You, know, you, may, you may go, hey, this has to happen organically. Yes, but if we aren't being, inten if we aren't being intentional about it, it probably will happen a lot less. So I wanted to share with you just really briefly um, 
the strategy of front yard mission. The first, here's, here's the leadership, is the first thing is a director. This person in Center County is me. I'm the director of front yard mission. And I am the champion for front yard mission. Again, I'm gonna go down with front yard mission. This is my thing. I'm gonna shout it to the mountaintops. Love God, love your neighbor with all my might. The second is shepherd. Those are people in neighborhoods, specific neighborhoods like Weymouth Circle, the Hennings. Um, they're shepherds there. They are the point people for their neighborhood. They are recruiting other people in their neighborhood as well to be what's called front yard missionaries. And they, these two are serving together to love Jesus and to love their neighbor and hopefully invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Those are the, the kind of the leadership roles that are out there, there that exist. So how does this kind of like practically look? I'm gonna, here's the next slide, but I wanna, I wanna show you how does this look in my neighborhood specifically. I live in a suburb of Lamont, Pennsylvania, called Daleview. So, so that's my neighborhood, and for me, Church, those aren't just squares and rectangles on that map. Those are friends and people whom I love. And I don't want to worship for eternity in heaven without those squares and those rectangles. They're friends of mine. I love them. Those, those kind of pins there, those are front yard missionaries that I'm already working with. And so that's my neighborhood. So we're praying together. We're, we meet together more informally than formally, and we are planning events in our neighborhood together. We're planning and praying for events. So we ask every front yard missionary shepherd to shoot for doing four gathering events in their neighborhoods. So these events, what they look like, I'll, sh I'll show you our door hangers, because we, we try to resource every front yard missionary shepherd. There's some of our door hangers, donuts in the driveway. Talk about low-hanging fruit. We did that yesterday in the pouring down rain. We still had 25 neighbors come to our driveway yesterday. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was great. And then, like, fire pit night, worst party ever, brought worse. I hear that puns is a sign of narcissism, so um, I might be narcissistic. Um, so outdoor movie night, we also resource that. Like we have um, kits that you can take. We have an, like a 20-foot screen that's an inflatable screen with a projector and a sound system that you can use for outdoor movie nights. And then we have neighborhood pizza parties, which are, we have these uni pizza ovens that people can check out and do pizza parties in their neighborhood. Um, I want to show you a video because this kind of these events was the impetus. I don't know if is that a word. Impetus of these events was this video. So check it out.
Canada. <laughs> Susie and I saw that years ago, and we thought, we can do that. And so we kind of improvised it. We have an RV driveway, and it looks like this. So we put up these signs that said, dinner in the driveway, bring a, bring a dish and a, a drink to share. And uh, like an hour before we did this, the table looked like that center table there. And we're like, oh, no one's going to show up. And then all these people in our neighborhood showed up. And it was like a catalyst for us to do what we're doing now, Front Yard Mission. And we, those people show up at lots of events that we do in our front yard. We do something once every month, and we serve dinner every week to our neighbors. And we've had as many as 60 people come to our, our dinner night that, that we do on Tuesday night. And one of the one of the people that we met at our uni pizza oven night that we, we did a thing. We, I think we had 70 or 80 people come to our uni pizza night. We met a girl named Kathleen. And Kathleen um, lives down the street. And she, um, after that event, she said, I, I love dogs. Can I help you walk your dogs with you? So now she just pretty much just lives at our house and has all rights to our refrigerator. So, um, and she's, she goes to church with us now, and is, she says, I'm a front-air mission. And we just did, um, she, she said, can I do a front-air mission event? I'm like, absolutely. So we're doing a pumpkin carving this week. And so, anyhow, I want, we, hey, church, you have about 4,000 weeks in your life on average. Let's get at it. Come with me. Come with Aaron. Let's get at it. That's awesome, Jonathan. Thank you for sharing with us today. Um, I'd, like, I'd like Jonathan to pray for us um, just because I think, you know, we want to learn and we want to grow and we want to be a church on mission. This is a part of that, you know, and I think it's, it, it resonates very deeply with, with the heart of the Lord to say let's, let's be in relationship with the world that we're planted in. Let's pray for the blessing of our city. That's, that's huge. Um, when Jonathan was mentioning prayer, uh, I was thinking about the fact that we have seen a greater hunger 
for prayer in this congregation. You know, tonight we're going to be gathering again for the prayer encounter. That has been really, really sweet. And if you have not been able to come out yet and would like to tonight, you are more than invited to come and just we're seeking the presence of the Lord together. And I think we're armed a little bit more to pray for the blessing of our city, which is awesome. So I would like you to pray for us if you would do that. I would love to. And church, can we stand together and just receive... Uh, this as a prayer, and uh, we're going to be dismissed here in a couple of minutes, but I think simple ways for us to show the love yeah. of Christ. I love that. Hey, so if you don't feel too awkward, and if you do feel awkward, don't worry. Don't do this. Aren't you the king of awkward? I am. Yeah, I lean, am. He'll yes. lean into it. We're with yes. you. Yes. So just like put yourself in a posture of receiving, like just kind of cup your hands. That's what I do when I pray, when I'm like want to receive from the Lord. There's a scripture in Revelation at the end of Revelation talks about the river of life, Lord. Everything that that river of life touches changes. The Holy Spirit changes everything. The river that flows from your throne to your people changes everything. Lord, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Holy Spirit, run through our neighborhoods. River, run through our neighborhoods. I pray that every neighbor that touches it would be changed. Jesus, move in our city, move in our neighborhoods, but most of all, move in us because we need transformation. We need Jesus. Move in us change our city I was praying the prayers St. Francis make me an instrument of your peace on my way here Lord let us be instruments of your peace in our, our city you're the God of the city and we do worship you we pour out our lives for you come move make your home here in our city we want you Jesus we want you Jesus we don't want to worship a day in heaven without our neighbors Holy Spirit come amen thank you Jonathan team would you lead us